Welcome into this week's edition of AWA Unleashed. We like to call ourselves the preeminent number one podcast dedicated to reliving the memories and telling the stories of the AWA when the voice doesn't crack, mind you. Uh, my name is Chris Tubbs. I am going through puberty once again, apparently, according to my voice. But two men that are, uh, I, I don't know, they're just immature. I would say they're not necessarily going through puberty, but they are immature, but they are my friends. They are Joe Chupik and uh, Mick Karch. As as a uh, as somebody in the current business said, tell me when I'm telling lies. You know, I'm going to respond to your uh, comment about being immature. So, so there you go. Hey, to quote the late Pee Wee Herman, I know you are, but what am I? There you go. Good way to fit that one in there, Chris. That. Well, we've got a, a really fun show today for, for wrestling fans. We love to kind of talk about the nostalgia, obviously. But today we've got a guest that really fits that criteria where there's a, a brand new, it's a must-have book. Out of all the books about the AWA that are really going to take you back down memory lane, there's no question that this is the one that you have to have. Oh, and by the way, if you want to get it for a Christmas gift, we're just a few minutes away from Christmas. Makes a great stocking stuffer. Just saying, if you don't want it now, you want to sit it, you know, you want to kind of, you know, you know just kind of, you know, put it in the back of your mind here. Put it in the back of your mind. Um, got some business to take care of. First of all, you see Soda Stick. Uh, thanks to Soda Stick for the uh, AWA Unleashed swag. Uh, SodaStickCO.com. If you want your personalized hoodies, you want your AWA Unleashed podcast T-shirt. Uh, I'll put the uh, I'll put the information up there. If you don't have it, use the promo code Unleashed for fifteen percent off. Uh, also, Seventh uh, Avenue Pizza. I love pizza. You love pizza. We all love pizza. If you don't love pizza, that's a you problem, as my daughter would say. But SeventhAvenuePizza.com. You can find it. Uh, I believe at Coborns now. You know, High V. Uh, there are a bunch of different retailers around the Twin Cities and the Upper Midwest. If you don't have it, let me know. Hit me up. In the comments, uh, YouTube, MySpace, Facebook, Snapchat, Instachat. MySpace? Threads chat, whatever. I, I don't know. I just threw that. <laughs> I believe I looked at the calendar and we're uh, taking it back. We're going to party like it's 2007, guys. You, you've raised my curiosity, and I'm checking. Is MySpace even around anymore? Uh, well, give Twitter enough time to shit the bed, and it probably will make a comeback. Tom's just sitting there waiting for more friends. It, it, I think it's done more than that. Twitter, it's it's been flushed on the toilet already yeah. for me anyway. But that aside, let's get back and do some wrestling. Let's uh, let's do it. Uh, Mick, I'm going to let you introduce our guest. Uh, and uh, by the way, it's a special anniversary for you. I want to... Uh, We'll get to that a little bit later on, if I remember. If not, it's probably not important enough for me to talk about. But let's talk to uh, let's talk to our guest here. Let's bring her in. Talk about people who are really mature, and and behave themselves in class acts and everything else. Obviously, we've taken us out of the equation. Yeah. We're talking about our friend, our dear friend, my friend of over five decades, Joyce Postian. And we're going to talk about Joyce's new book, all about her experiences with the AWA. And I want to tell you, it, it is absolutely a phenomenal, 
phenomenal book. I loved it. If you're a fan of the AWA going back to the 1970s and you want to get not only the candid pictures, but the, the photographs from ringside, it's just a great book. And, and Joycey, first of all, Chris, am I correct that Joyce is the only guest that has made a return appearance on yes, our podcast? She is. She's, uh, she, she was on before and she kind of, I don't know, Kize Fize uh, through the, uh, through the Bizook. Yep. Uh, so, uh, so we got her back on and it dropped a couple of weeks. Well, it was available a couple of weeks ago at Waterloo and it seemed to go over really well. So it was just a natural, I thought it was an, it, it was kind of a natural thing to have her back and really promote the book because I, I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing to have the words and tell you, you know, explicitly this is, this is what happened, but you've got a really nice complimentary of pictures that go with the stories. And I think that's what makes Joyce's book so different and, I mean, literally, it's, it's it's a must-have because you get stories, but you get the pictures, and you feel like you're actually there. As I was reading it, like I, I mean, I, I would be lying if I said if I didn't bulldoze through uh, three quarters of it within the first like 48 hours that I had it. Well, Joyce is a class act, and she knows how I feel about her, and and uh, her success with this book, uh, I I'm incredibly proud of her. And but I will say this: the last time we had you on the air. I mean, it was a total kayfabe job. It, it really was. Uh, we talked about your experiences with the AWA, but the book was kind of under wraps. So first of all, explain to everybody why you were you know, kind of keeping the lid on the fact that you were doing this book. Well, hi, guys. Anyway, and thanks for making me feel really old. Uh, <laughs> and I either am mature and didn't learn anything from the first visit or, or I'm glad for punishment. One of the two, <laughs> but, but anyway, we're, we're desperate for content, Joyce. That's the reality. <laughs> we're, we're, we're desperate for content. Let's just rip it off. The, the book has been an evolving uh, process. Uh, when I first was going to do a book, I thought somebody else was going to work with me on it. I thought I would just be supplying photos to that person and, uh, just needed captions, and I really wasn't intending to write stories. Then uh, that kind of fell through, and I uh, wasn't sure if I was going to continue with the book, and I couldn't figure out how to lay out the book. It was it seemed kind of dry to just go chronologically or to go based on each wrestler. Uh, I wanted to just showcase all of the great AWA wrestlers and a few of the not-so-great but uh, it, so I, I ultimately de decided to, to go uh, city by city as, as my experience happened mm -hmm. and how my wrestling photography career, if you will, uh, uh, proceeded. So um, it was kind of just a work in progress and I didn't have uh, the full concept in my mind of how it was going to end up. So that wasn't really intentional that I kept it under wraps uh, at that time. So, but I, I, I am really glad it's done. And um, I'm not sure I would have, if I'd have known everything that was involved in uh, book publishing, I'm not sure I would have gone through with it at the time. But by the time we got to the end, I, I had put so much work and effort mm -hmm. and money into it. I decided we got to get this done now. We can't just leave it, yeah. you know, 80% done. 
So. so when you decided to take on this project and you thought somebody else was going to be a part of it, how long did it take from that process, from that moment that you realized that you were basically going to have to be a one person show? How long was the whole process from that point to the very um, end in publishing? I would say that the concept of this started two and a half years ago, and then maybe that was uh, in process for half a year. And then... Uh, so, so I would say off and on two years, uh, it's been in, in progress. Uh, j just going through the number of photos that I have, I, 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 you know, I know it's a good problem to have, to have that many photos from the years, but trying to narrow it down and say, yeah, this is one I should show. And this is one that unfortunately didn't make the cut. That's one that didn't make the cut. That was one of my early photos. Uh, and early on, I was uh, shooting primarily Nick Bockwinkle, and uh, uh, when he would be over on my side of the ring, I, I couldn't uh, couldn't help but uh, take take pictures of him. And I think I believe Mike Gratchner threatened me with that one that if I published that one of Brunzel, that he would he would hunt me down. <laughs> so he and, uh, I, I've seen Jim look better. Uh, <laughs> occasionally than, than he does there. Uh, Nick, of course, applying that uh, reverse neck massage, uh, strictly strictly illegal hold. Not a uh, But uh, Jim, I mean, talk about being blown up in a match. Uh, Jim looks like his head is about to uh, take off on a, a, a solo mission to Mars. Doesn't it? Oh, God. Uh, wow. so, I think it was just a bad moment for him. Uh, <laughs> I must have caught him at a bad moment, but uh, it, it was really tough to narrow down the photos. Uh, I, if I'd have included all the photos that I'd wanted to, this book would have taken two more years to process, and uh, and I uh, it would have been 500 pages of line, it, it, and then nobody would be able to afford it. So <laughs> it was, uh, and I, there were a lot of stops and starts. When I started telling some of the stories that go with it, I, I had to kind of talk, ask myself, do I want to tell that story? Do I want to, will people enjoy it primarily or will they be able to relate to it? Uh, and it was just lots of different questions in my mind of what what do people want nowadays? What's not available? What's going to be a repeat of what's already out there? And uh, ultimately I settled on telling positive stories about the AWA and what it was like to be a fan starting out and maybe, you know, learning more about the business as I went along and getting to, getting to know some of the guys and then, you know, in some cases being glad and in some cases wishing I didn't know some things. So, so Joyce, your, your book covers, as we saw, there's ringside photos, but there's also behind the scenes photos and we all know and especially in that time period that kayfabe was still around and the promoters were very protective of the business how did you get into the behind the scenes and earn the trust of those promoters um a lot of that was due to to, to nick himself uh he he uh, kind of uh, took me under his wing, so to speak, a, a little bit. I think he wanted to protect me. Uh, he met me uh, at age 12 or 13, you know, and I think he 
he one time t- told me that he re- I reminded him of his second daughter. So uh, oh. I think uh, I think he wanted to keep me away from some of the bad elements of, of wrestling, but yet he could see my enthusiasm and see that I wanted to be part of this. And he enjoyed my fan connection too. I, he, Mick knows that he and Nick would say, I don't care about fans at all, but he, he with with everything that he agreed to do uh, in the, the Bachwinkle Brigade, he he uh, he always agreed to everything. He, he just begrudgingly would try to say, I don't like it, but he did. And uh, so, um, and then I also have to credit Mike Gratchner, um, who's a uh, uh, Midwest photographer for um, also helping me open some doors there and uh, give me some uh, chances to take Photos. I, I mean, I had a ringside seat, so they couldn't run, and you were allowed to take photos. So, but uh, mostly it was an uh, initiative that I would go up and ask the wrestlers to an autograph, but a picture, and then they'd uh, they'd see the picture and say, "That's a pretty good picture." I, I don't have any pictures of myself in the ring. Can you can you give me a copy of that? And I'd bring it the next time, and they'd and they'd say, "Yeah," then they'd remember me, and that and that was kind of my. Uh, um, my entrance into the, the photography initiation. And then uh, then I started sending some photos into some of the, the Midwest magazines and programs and uh, got known that way. But And then, of course, Mick, uh, getting to know Mick was uh, an op- a door opening in the Minneapolis arena that uh, he he knew a lot of the things going on. He got me into the, some of the TV tapings uh, with, with the uh, brigade conventions, so. A lot of people to thank along the way. You know, Joyce, there's a, for you and I, at least, there's a recurring theme that we got into the business because Nick helped us along the way. And, you know, you hit the nail right on the head. Everything he did was, you know, allegedly, uh, you know, uh, pulling teeth. But the fact that he said that you said he protected you and he looked out for you. You know, knowing Nick the way I did, I absolutely understand that. And Nick being so protective of the business, and Joe made mention to the uh, the kayfabe era that we were in back then, and it really was a protected era, uh, especially with the Ganyas, you know, at the uh, at the forefront. But uh, you were Nick's trust, and that's you know that's a a good door opener for sure. And needless to say, you know, for the next however many years, 40 years, he was uh, he was always there for you and me. And that's kind of a recurring theme. We'll, we'll get back to Nick periodically. Um, you went all over the place. You know, you mentioned, you know, coming to the Twin Cities for the brigade conventions. and So you went to the big arenas. You went to the, the St. Paul auditoriums or Minneapolis auditorium. But you also spent a majority of that time in Rockford or Moline or or whatever it was, first of all, give us a little delineation between the big arena setting. I mean, some of it is obvious, but from where you were sitting as a fan and as a uh, photographer, and then tell me some of your favorite cities or towns, small towns, whatever, uh, where you felt the most comfortable uh, taking your shots. Yeah, um, basically going to the different cities was out of necessity if I wanted to remain an AWA fan. Um, I was in my glory the first several years uh, from 76 uh, till uh, 
the summer of 79 when uh, they decided to stop running uh, matches in Davenport Moline, which I thought would continue because, uh, you know, Dan, Don Markson was uh, related to the guy in his in-law. And uh, they they fully intended to, to continue, but the TV studio didn't want, didn't want to run the show anymore. They had a new manager. And so I was heartbroken. And uh, so the nearest uh, AWA city was Peoria. And so that was 90 miles away. And so I would go down there every three weeks then. And Mike Grasher would get me to access at ringside down there. And uh, it was a great town too for a while. But uh, that went for a couple of years. And then then all of a sudden they didn't run a run uh, AWA. It turned into a WWA town. So uh, I had to then turn my attention to Rockford, which I, I remember asking Mike, it's like, this one's not going to go away too. Is <laughs> I was starting to see a trend there, and uh, then uh, we got up to Rockford, and it was Dennis Hilgert, and uh, he ran Milwaukee and Green Bay and a lot of the smaller uh, uh, Wisconsin towns, and uh, those were great times. Uh, Rockford fans had were really something, and uh, we had a high school gym, but it was a huge gym, and they really would pack them in. Was that um, Boylan? Yeah, Boylan High School. Okay. Right, right. Gotcha. And uh, uh, they got a lot of great talent. The, the, the talent seemed to like Dennis, and uh, it was always something they could run and uh, get to Milwaukee or Chicago the next night. And uh, so they we got a lot of great matches over the years, and they would run every three weeks. And so that, that lasted for like six years. Uh, um, I didn't get into Chicago and Milwaukee big time until about 85. Um, but uh, uh, we had, there were a couple of great years, 85 and 86, or things were still going strong. We had a lot of great talent, had a, uh, got a chance to see something. Um, I mentioned in the book, though, that I really enjoyed um, taking photos in the high school gyms and in the smaller arenas because for an old school fan, there's there's something about not having all the pyrotechnics, not having all the... yeah. Uh, big cameras for TV, and uh, um, it's it's just you in the ring and watching the match, and and uh, not the distractions. I, and you know the music is great, and and it was what was needed to go come along at that time. But I still I still enjoyed the old the old school until until it was until it was. Uh, the only thing that could happen because they couldn't afford the big arenas. Then it yeah. was kind of like a sad thing. But on the way up, I really enjoyed it. And uh, and also, I was uh, one of the between me and Grasher, we were one of the few photographers there. When I go up to Minneapolis, you know, they'd kind of say, oh, "We already have plenty of photographers sure. at ringside. We don't need any more." And so I was like a third wheel, and I so uh, I I. I uh, if I wanted to get ringside seats, I had to have, or I mean, if I wanted to get ringside shots, I had to have a ringside seat. So I did. I, I never minded purchasing a ticket because I thought if I'm not willing to purchase a ticket, why should other fans purchase a ticket? So yeah. So, fan anyway. so, so with this Joyce, like, were you ever paid for your photos as, as you were getting into it or, was it more or less kind of a hobby and, and a labor of love? Uh, that is a short answer. No, I was not. Okay. 
Next question. Uh, no, but, but I mean, which which is why I never really felt any obligation to get them pictures. You know, I uh, I worked at the Wrestling News because uh, I felt they had the most integrity in their journalism, if there is such a thing in wrestling journalism. But uh, <laughs> but I didn't really want uh, my photos associated with some uh, fantastic story of our Nick and Ray splitting up for good, you know, that type of thing. So I. I I didn't. I wanted to know what the story was going to be. I did, I didn't really do interviews, but I had a, a friend uh, in Peoria who was willing to write the stories if I'd provide the photos. And so, a few times we submitted them, but no, there, it was not for pay. They were on too tight a budget, and and I was okay with that. I mean, I just wanted to have my name up there. It opened some doors to be able to say that your name is in there. And uh, but I, I wasn't doing it for pay. It was a, it was a hobby. Uh, and I wanted the pictures for myself. I, I talked to a lot of photographers now who tell me they sent their film canister in or they sent their slides in or they uh, sent all of their stuff to the magazine and they never got it back. So I, I you know, I didn't want that. I, so I had to wait till I could make copies and then send it to them. By that time, sometimes it was past, uh, past uh, what they were interested in or they already had enough pictures of that particular match. And so, so no, I'm not sorry that I did it that way. It, so, Joyce, you, you've done probably hundreds of shoots or hundreds of matches that you attended to get these uh, ringside photos. When you were when when you were ringside, were there any wrestlers that? Um, Put it this way: that made sure that uh, you got the good shot. In other words, did they like see where you were at, and then sort of make sure to work over to where you were so that you could get a really good shot? Yes, definitely. Uh, the one that sticks out in my mind uh, most is uh, Pat. Would be Pat Patterson. Uh, we had given Patterson and Orton a ride that night to the arena because uh, they uh, they were friends with uh, Alfred Hayes. And I, I, I'm shocked that it would be Pat Patterson, by the way. I'm absolutely <laughs> stunned that it would be Pat Patterson. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he he was he was pretty nice to me, and so then uh, I uh, he knew where we were sitting because we had uh, gone back to shoot some pictures of uh, Ray and. Pat with the belts then and uh, they were wrestling the high flyers I believe and uh, uh, he knew I was sitting ringside there not not shooting at ringside but sitting ringside and uh, he, he came over to where I was sitting and uh, there, there's a photo in the book I, I sorry I didn't send it but it's uh, in the book that uh, and he came over with to head slam one of them into our my seat and said with right beforehand saying, get up, get up, get up. And and I got the shot right before he, he said that. And uh, darn if he didn't slam him into the seat, but he knew we would, you know, get out of the way and, and uh, not bother him. And the, those, those were really great days because uh, the wrestlers really trusted the fans to not interfere. You know, the police were right handy if, <laughs> if anybody got out of control, but they were uh, throwing wrestlers right out to to the to the feet of your uh, 
see it there and there were no guardrails, no ropes, nothing. Just look down and there's a wrestler at your feet. And, and I love that. Um, I understand they can't do it today and that, you know, fans have evolved and uh, yeah, I understand security totally uh, when you got a big crowd, but I, I just loved how the, and a lot of the fan, the uh, wrestlers would generate heat by, by yelling at a, a guy that, uh, that was out there and uh, Alfred Hayes, uh, uh, primarily, he would uh, come out to this guy. What is that filthy odor? You know, and just <laughs> a guy that was a couple of uh, seats down from me, and I, I got some great shots while he would do that. And, uh, and Bobby Heenan, a lot of times, would sit right in front of me uh, when he was at, sitting at ringside because he knew his back would be protected. So, so oh, yeah, I would say so. They, so, they knew so I yeah. There. So you you were in Waterloo uh, a couple of weeks ago, and you know you actually set up you set up a table for your your book, and I mean considering the amount of fans that are there that are, I've said that Waterloo is a place for like not real wrestling fans, but if you really want to appreciate the history of the business, that's where you go. So, I mean, how cool was it to have like the, the stand the, the table? during that hall of fame weekend that was kind of my goal the whole the whole year and what kept me going is if i don't get this book done and get it ordered and uh, get things ready to go and get the notice out there that i'm going to have a table um i knew the sales weren't going to go very well i mean i i would have publicity from you guys's uh podcast and and website but uh i knew waterloo was going to because there's nothing like having the book right there, you can look at it and have uh, with people with um, money in their hand. And, and if you, you know, if you do it online, a lot of times, they say, yeah, I'll get to it. I, and or I intended to get it, but uh, uh, I did very well, almost paid for the table itself. Uh, you can do the, You can do the hard sell. You can do the hard sell. <laughs> you can it look was, like it, was, it was fun to, it was fun to share the memories with people and, uh, Everybody really seemed excited to see something about AWA memories. I'm not crediting uh, my photos and myself so much. I'm just saying there's still a lot of great nostalgia out there for for the AWA and the memories of, of those old days. And uh, and that's probably why your show has been so successful, too. Joycey, um, first of all, as far as, as the success that you had uh, selling your books, you had more people come up to your table in the first five minutes that I have had at my gimmick tables in the last 40 years. Uh, you did you did extremely well. And a great point about the nostalgia for the AWA, because if you think about it, aside from what you are doing now with the book and aside from what we're doing, ain't nobody doing AWA. You know, everything is, uh, you know, modern era wrestling. And that is, that's part of the reason the book for me was such a wonderful experience. Uh, first of all, it was nostalgic in a good way. And I got teared up a couple of times. You got to admit it, you know, looking at some of those old pictures. Uh, uh, and then all of a sudden, you're thrust right back there. I mean, you're back to the 1970s. And you're talking to Nick at the conventions or Buddy Wolf or whoever it might be. Uh, and you don't get that anywhere else. You just don't. So, again, that's just an aside. 
one thing that I wanted to talk about with you, and we, we touched on this a little bit the last time you were on the show. Trust is one thing, but you developed a personal relationship, a friendship uh, with, is that Brutus Beefcake that we just saw there? Was that, was that Dizzy Ed? Absolutely. Yeah, a quick, uh, quick look at Dizzy Ed Boulder, uh, Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Uh, that point, that did not make the cut, as I understand. No, uh, it's that, uh, uh, one of the ones I had to leave out, sadly. Yeah, that was going to be that's, page three thirty-one, I think. And, that's in uh, Rock, Rockford. Uh, walking down the hall, he he uh, was there when the the very first night that Hulk Hogan came. And uh, imagine that. Yeah, what a surprise. Wow, the coincidence there. I really Uh, thought they were brothers at first, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, they they had us all believing it, you know? Um, But talk about some of the the wrestlers that you had friendships. We talked about Nick, and of course, you know, Nick is first and foremost on the list. But I know you mentioned Lord Alfred Hayes, Bobby Heenan, uh, because you were kind of – you did it all. You, you picked the guys up from the airport. You took them to the restaurants, whatever. You had kind of an inside track. So any any particular favorites or anybody that stands out as, yeah, I was really good friends with that person? Um, I I would say the ones you mentioned, uh, uh, Nick, uh, Bobby, um, uh, Lord Alfred, of course, uh, uh, Remus, uh, Sergeant Slaughter, uh, Super Destroyer, um, uh, who I I never realized would come back to be a a, a fan, but uh, Bobby was uh, Bobby was very um, private person as as you can imagine. Uh, uh, his uh, personality on as a friend was totally different than what he was on TV. Even though, although he would joke and make funny remarks all the time, but. Uh, very private person, very uh, soft-spoken, and uh, did not like to be around people. So he, uh, and I think where I hit the right tone with most of the wrestlers was um, I wouldn't constantly bother them. I, I probably would get a photo with them if I could or a, an, an autograph, but I knew when to let them alone if they were upset about something or if they were talking amongst themselves, I knew not to ask like, Hey, what are you talking about? Or, you know, I, I just would listen in and I would just smile or, you know, and, uh, just didn't, didn't make a pest of myself. Didn't, uh, didn't cause them any problem. And, and they, I, I there were times when, uh, Bobby would, uh, I remember one time at the airport, Bobby was, you know, Lanza was going to go with somebody else and Bobby was coming to my car and Lanza, he, Bobby said to him, don't go with them. Uh, uh, they're, they're, uh, well, I won't say what he said, but, but he uh, said that a not so kind term about them. Uh, come on with us. And, and uh, so Bobby knew that uh, he, he would be able to be himself, be trusted. And Nick, same way. I, I, uh, and Nick was probably the worst at the time for kayfabe. I mean, he would. There was there was a time when he would say, uh, "So, what do you think about if we go skiing out at Aspen next week?" Yeah, yeah. And, and I knew they weren't going to go skiing. <laughs> you know, Nick had to play that uh, that line. No and, kidding. <laughs> kidding. And so, 
Yeah, but, you know, you just let him go along with it. And Nick asked constant questions about things. Uh, so, uh, you know, what's the story on this? What's it does on this? And people would laugh. The, the other wrestlers would laugh, you know, because the same old story of uh, not, not at him, but just with him of Nick's so curious and Nick's uh, it takes uh, an hour to tell the same story that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I ever had a short conversation with Nick. No, never. Did he use big words too, Joe? Did he use big words? You know, I have always said that what you saw from Nick on camera, it really was, I think, representative of what he was behind. I mean, in real life, he, Nick could talk. Except, except when he would come out to do a promo, a lot of times he would have that little dictionary with him and he'd find a word like, you know, obstivience, and he'd, he'd come out and he'd throw, having no idea what it, but he just before the camera turned on, he went out and he delivered that, that million dollar word with that little Webster's American dictionary in his pocket. So um, but he, would, he would still, once he learned that word, oh yeah. Like, he would continually try oh, yeah. to use that word in conversation. Moving oh, he forward. was proud of it. He yeah. was proud of that. At that point. He didn't yeah. know what the hell it meant. Yeah. <laughs> so, Joyce, all of your work doing all of these photos and so forth, you've been honored by Cauliflower Alley. You've been honored by the Hall of Fame in Waterloo. Um, I, I, how does that make you feel? I mean, I, I got to imagine really good, but... Let's hear it in your own words. It makes me feel really good in that the fact that I was honored by both was not so much for my photo ability, but for my loyalty and staying with it and for being a friend. I, I got the Red Bastion Friendship Award from Cauliflower Alley um, because people found me to be approachable and to be uh, a kind person, more or less. And, and that's how that's really how I am in most cases. And uh, in Waterloo, it's uh, it's not only because I take decent photos, but it's because I'm willing to show up year after year after year and and be there for them. I get this note in April all the time is saying, you're going to be there to take photos for us again, aren't you? And I, and yeah, of course I am because I want to be there anyway. And uh, it's not like it's an honor. It's sometimes it's uh, a lot of work because then I have to leave something maybe that I wanted to do or be with somebody and say, I, Hey, I gotta, I gotta go. I gotta go take photos of this event, you know, because I promised it for them, but it, it's a duty of, I'll tell you what, the last time at Waterloo, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit at my age. Uh, uh, this was the 23rd, 24th uh, Waterloo thing, and uh, standing up at that stage for some of those speeches, uh, they went on and on. There were nine awards, and they went on, and uh, standing up there for all that time, I was so glad to sit down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Th there would be times where we would be talking, or I'd see you in a conversation, and next thing I know, I turn my, I, I turn my head, and you moved on to something else. So you've gone from, you know, from being conversational with people to to having to do your job. And I mean, one of the things that I saw is I saw you guys sitting ringside, and it it, it got me thinking that for all of the pictures that you've 
taken over the years and you talk about, you know, having this accessibility at ringside, were there ever any times where it got, you got a little nervous and you felt like maybe you were going to be in harm's way. And like, I, I have to get out of here before something bad happens. Uh, a few times, a few times, but uh, luckily nothing uh, ever, I never got injured uh, there. Uh, there were a couple times early on uh, when Mike, uh, Grasher tried to get me uh, ac access right at ringside uh, when I was only, uh, I would say, 16 or 17, just first learning uh, how to do photos. And uh, he couldn't get me in that in some of the bigger towns, but he said, like, at the high schools, maybe I could, you know, try and learn. Uh, but the state commission in Illinois wouldn't wouldn't let me do it. Uh, they told him, they said, no, no, she's too young. She won't know to get out of the way. She'll get hurt. And uh and I, uh, I, I, so eventually I had to, I had to prove myself that I, that I could, mm -hmm. could know. And I, uh, you know, I want to get the shot, but I don't, uh, I don't want to get hurt. So I try to get out of the way. Yeah. Some of the photographers that I see nowadays, I am really glad that I'm not doing that, uh, because uh, they get up in the ring and, and actually shoot from that. Yeah. I think that's very dangerous. In fact, we saw a guy at Waterloo who had two different cameras that he was switching off with, and his ca camera was on the ring apron while he was shooting with the other one, and they threw him into the, the guy into the ring rope, and he actually lost the camera to the floor. I think it was okay, but yeah. <laughs> I, you, you can't do stuff like that. Yeah. So when I, and I kind of want to follow up here with that. I mean, when you're getting into it and because you want to be safe, but you want to get the shot too. Did, did you feel that, you know, being a, a girl or a female and, you know, a woman in the in doing that, do you feel like maybe you were, people were trying to, you were treated differently or were they trying to protect you a little bit more than maybe they would, you wouldn't get as much accessibility too as, maybe some of the male counterparts. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, you know, uh, it's I, that's why I think I went up to the ring and got a lot of the pose shots at the introduction times and at the end. But uh, most of the ones that I got for action shots were taken from my seat rather okay. than right out ringside deck. Okay. Uh, there were a couple times uh, in uh, Peoria where I was, I, I had actually, I actually had a table a seat right at the ringside table, the announcer's table. And when they'd come out onto that table, uh, there were a couple of times I didn't get out of the way as quick as I should have. I didn't get hurt, but, but I, uh, it was I, a learning know, experience. Mike kind of told me later, uh, you know, when that happens, maybe, maybe just clear out of there a little more. Um, the battle Royals, you know, I always would back way out because I didn't want to be right there. It's, it's kind of an evolving thing. You learn where to be and, and where not to be. But I, I definitely think that they uh, they didn't give me as much access because of female. Yeah, well, obviously, I couldn't go into the dressing rooms and uh, uh, like some of the guys uh, could get pose shots back there. Uh, sometimes they would arrange for me to get some pose shots if they had a separate room set up uh, and I could go back there with multiple ones. But uh that that's one of the ones that uh, where I had a, that was in Chicago, and uh, I'm not sure whether they purposely came out on that side to get the pin. That was a boot camp match, and uh, all four of the participants, uh, including Greg Gagne, had all all bled that 
night. And uh, this is uh, Sarge uh, pinning Ray Stevens, Nick being the other one. And uh, uh, I had prime access to that. I didn't have to move out of my seat to get that shot. So I think uh, that there might have been some uh, some prearranged thing of let's go out on that side and get the pin. Uh, and some of the other photographers were not too happy because they were on the other side of the ring and didn't get the shot. So, you know, it, every, it works out good and bad. Every time I see a picture of Ray or hear his name, the first thing that pops into my mind is that infectious guttural laugh that he had. I mean, Ray, Ray was a teenager up until he died. He was a little kid the entire time and loved to have fun. So just seeing that picture, just thank you for reminding me of, of Ray the Crippler Stevens, one of a kind. Joyce, before uh, I talk about the brigade, because we have to, I mean, that was such an integral part of what we did back in the 70s. Just a couple of sides there, uh, talking about your photography experience and knowing the, the longer, you know, and I didn't shoot pictures nearly as long as you did, a couple, three, four, five years, but you learn you know, you, you kind of anticipate you've got that sixth sense uh, where to be and, you know, what move is coming up next and, and, and so on and so forth. Although I must say a couple of times with me, um, I'm taking a picture of, uh, I don't know what the hell I was taking a picture of. I look up at the corner and, and the shot is completely obliterated. It's totally black. And no, I did not have the lens cap on. <laughs> It was totally black, and I, I put the camera down, and I looked up, and what was black, what was eclipsing, was Jerry Blackwell coming over the top rope right into the vicinity of where I was seated. So, you know, I'm not the fastest guy in the world anyway. Unless it's a buffet, it takes me forever to, you know, tie my shoe. But for some reason or other, I really moved. Uh, when I saw the eclipse known as Jerry Blackwell coming over the, the top rope and just got out of the way. Another time, Mr. Bockwinkle uh, got a little bit irritated with me because I, I, I think I, I might have been daydreaming a little bit at ringside. And he was wrestling Rick Martell, and they took it to the outside. And Nick wanted to throw Martell into a turnbuckle or a ring post or something. And I'm just, like, zoned out. And I hear... Uh, Mr. Karsh, would you kindly get out of my way? And it was Nick. And uh, that, that, that woke me up. Uh, it, it did real quickly. Uh, so, yeah, ringside can be a very interesting place to, uh, to shoot pictures. And, of course, you know, if you don't take the lens cap off and Bobby Heenan accuses you uh, of being Wally Carbo's illegitimate kid so everybody at ringside can hear you, um, it, it gets a little rough. Let's talk about the Bachwinkle Brigade. Uh, unless you were a part of it, unless you experienced that back in the 70s, the camaraderie, not only the fact that Nick got us in and, you know, watched out for us, but it was so special back then, whether it was Nick or Bobby Heenan being involved or whoever it was, you and I... Larry Hennig. Larry <laughs> Larry Hennig showing up at a uh, one uh, unannounced at one of the Bachwinkle Brigade conventions along with a, a friend of his 
and I'm sure you remember this, Joyce, his old war buddy um, who proceeded to take off his shirt and show us his old war wound uh, right next to his nipple as we are trying to conduct a, a Bachwinkle Brigade convention. Um, but, yeah, the, but talk about that a little bit in terms of the camaraderie and just what it meant at least at one, two times a year when we all got together. Yeah, I really, you know, when it wanted to be, join a fan club and, you know, so I was, when I, once I found out there were wrestling magazines that covered some of the, the fan clubs and, and how good they were, uh, you know, yours uh, constantly got rave reviews and uh, talked about how, how uh, involved uh, Nick was with the, with the brigade and uh, how it was one of the longer running ones. So I, I wanted to be a part of that. And uh, I, I, I was wasn't you know I really liked Nick, but I wasn't sure about Ray Stevens. I he was kind of uh, not not my favorite at first because I had liked Doctor X, and I still hadn't forgiven Ray for break, supposedly breaking his terrible. leg. But terrible. yeah, <laughs> anyway. But I liked Nick, and so uh, I I wrote to you in December of uh, November November December of seventy two, if you believe. <laughs> and, uh, Oh. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I got I got a an acknowledgement from you with the first bulletin, and I thought, and I I read that thing uh, cover to cover, or or I read it so many times the staple was coming out, and I I just thought, oh, this is like the be all end all, you know, and then uh, and then I it had a list of all the people that were uh, in the brigade, and. Uh, and they're the towns they lived in. And that next summer, I met uh, Helen Martin and Pat Gibbs, who, uh, as you know, were also longtime members of the brigade. And uh, being fans of Nick was uh, a lonely thing <laughs> at the time because he was one of the most hated uh, heels out there. And so uh, it was it was nice to have uh, some people that you could depend on and and share your your love of Nick with. Uh, in in addition to yourself, so uh, I I uh, I think I uh, wrote to you and called you more often back then than uh, probably uh, half of the brigade. And uh, and God bless you, you answered once in a while. And uh, so I, <laughs> wow. I know. Well, that's more than I do for most. I know, people. I know. <laughs> so so anyway, it was it was a fun time. The conventions were just, you know, a, a memory that you could not replace. And it's just a chance for everybody to get together and see, meet people who you had only read about in, in uh, bulletins and uh, and have Nick around us and uh, what access we had. You know, we didn't, same old story, you don't appreciate it at the time and until you realize what, that when it's gone that, what what a great time that was, and what what great uh, action oh. we had. That was in Las Vegas uh, at one CAC conventions. When, uh, I look like a lens crafters commercial gone bad. I mean, good grief! I could stare at a fly on a shelf and burn him to death with those laser like. What year would you, would you say that? I would guess that is probably 2004, 2005 because of my hairstyle. Uh, 
I wow. and uh, I you probably had just been at the buffet. That's all I can say. <laughs> what, are you, what, are, what are you saying? What are you saying that I spent a lot? I have, time? No, room. I have no room to talk. <laughs> so. You've never seen a buffet you haven't loved. Anyway, as uh, as I was about to say, uh, Joe Joyce is alluding to the access that we had to Nick during these uh, conventions. Being a TV guy and knowing those TV taping days, Nick would actually leave the the studio where he was doing these TV tapings and the promos for all the towns, and he would come out and talk to the Bachwinkle Brigade for an hour, you know, and then finally, you know, the poor guy had to get back in there. But so when Joyce says he begrudgingly, you know, got involved with us or what have you, uh, he loved it, and uh, we loved him, and there was nothing like it. So uh, thanks for the memories, Joyce. Uh, yeah, and like, uh, yeah, Al really was very uh... – uh, uh, helpful to us, and yeah. uh, that he would he would come get Nick when he absolutely had to get back to doing the tapings. But he tried to tried to help and give us as much time with Nick as we could. And, and uh, yeah, Nick really nope. uh, went over the top with that. Uh, I mean, we had over an hour of questions and answers, and he would just answer question after question, silliest questions you ever heard. Yeah, like oh, he loved it. He loved it. He loved it. He would try to deny it, but in, you're right. In reality, he loved it and he ate it up. Yeah, let's, he really let's, did. Uh, let's sell Joyce's book. Yeah. So, so how can how can people get your book, Joyce? Um, like, a, well, you know, I had the table at Waterloo. I, I uh, haven't found another venue yet where I want to do that. I'd like to do that again if an uh, opportunity comes up. So I'm keeping my ears open. For uh, other opportunities, I'm not going to be at CAC, and uh, the tables at the gathering were a little above my price range. <laughs> but uh, but I I will be there, and um, but uh, I'm trying to make it as easy as possible for people. So I'm handling all the distribution myself. Um, I've got PayPal account, and they can send me either a Facebook uh, DM, and I'll give them all the details, or um, send me an email at Joyce.Poston at gmail.com, which is also uh, where my account is under PayPal. The uh, books are $20 uh, and $6 shipping and handling uh, within the U.S. So and if there's anybody uh, outside the U.S., uh, I'll get them an estimate of what it costs, but it'll be higher. If you're an so AWA uh, fan, uh, you know this, you know, it's... Uh, Reliving the memories, looking at those pictures, hundreds and hundreds of pictures. Yeah, it's it's just extraordinary. And and Joyce, I can't tell you, <clears throat> excuse me, enough times how how proud of you I am. Uh, you know that. And uh, job well done. And if we can do anything on this podcast or on the AWA Unleashed page or the Slick Mick page or whatever to get this book over and out there for the public. Uh, we're going to do it because if, there it is right there. Uh, look at that gorgeous hunk of woman right there on the front cover. <laughs> Come on. Boy, Woody, Woody Perkins is a lucky guy. I'm telling you that. I'll, tell, I'll be sure to tell him. Oh, yeah. You, and, and you know what? And we love him, too. Uh, yeah. Woody's one hell he of a, a guy. Gem. He's, yeah. he's put up with a lot uh, in my, my wrestling yeah. uh, hobby. Yeah. So so I got the email, joyce.posture at gmail.com, right? Thank you. Yeah. And okay. Uh, yeah. 
if anybody needs more details, just have them email me or or uh, or send me a, a DM and uh, I get them. I've, everybody's been really uh, responsive so far. Anybody that's come in, uh, next thing I know, there's a there's a, a twenty dollars in my PayPal account, and I I want your book right away. So, poor Woody's uh, made about. Uh, 15, 20 trips to the post office each day. <laughs> so, hey, yeah. it's a good problem to have. Gives him yeah. something to do. You know? Yeah, I mean, exactly. exactly. He made one trip to the, there it is. Put, put her up there again, Chris. Let's take another look at it. There you go. And I mean, uh, you can just look at like, uh, see, the great thing is I can open it up to any page and I'm going to have photos. Amazing. Like any page. I mean, you just, boom. Oh, look, yep. more pictures. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, more pictures. I mean, it's it's really incredible. It's really incredible how it brings you back. And for those of us that never got a chance to see it, it kind of gives us a real feeling of what it was like. It, it literally kind of, it puts me there mentally. So I appreciate that. And Joyce, you don't have to, you know, we're not asking for a kickback or anything else. I consider this paying you back a, for the Baird Von Raschke poster that I maliciously sold to you when I could have given it to you. And uh, also for you sending me the Sherry Martell doll. Uh, that, that to me, you know, that's, I owe you. It's I owe an you. action figure. Pardon me? It's an action, action figure. figure. Action figure. <laughs> that's not a doll. It's an action figure. Uh, Joycey, continued success. Uh, you are one in a million. You deserve every good thing that you get and well, keep, uh, keep the stories coming and keep the AWA good memories alive. You know, it's uh, that's, that's what people want to hear. And uh, I'm so glad we could both uh, contribute toward that. And uh, uh, it's so nice to hear things about the AWA that uh, back when we know it was such a, a fantastic place to be a fan. Absolutely. Love you, dear. Continued success. Go get them. Thanks so much. Uh, Thank you, Joyce. Thanks, Joyce. Yeah, I'll hope to meet meet you better, Joe. I'll get you a book uh, down the line here. Well, maybe uh, an upcoming uh, Mick Karch event. What? Hey. There's a Mick yeah. Karch event? <laughs> well, yeah, it, the fact that I wake up in the morning is an event. <laughs> but, uh, uh, it, good luck, Joyce, and of course thanks, we'll stay in touch. Thanks again, guys. Thanks again. Thank you. Good, great uh, luck with the show. Thank you. All right, we'll uh, remove her from the stream. We'll come back to her here in a little bit. Uh, Joe, the one thing that she didn't tell you is it's uh, going to be 25 with shipping and handling. Well, not, no shipping and handling if she is going to hand me the book. No, they're shipping and handling. <laughs> right. Which 99% of it is the handling <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. hey it's uh, a long joe you got long arms it's a long way for joyce to hand that book off <laughs> you're making her do the work man you know, so. oh right. she, she's such a great guest and and uh, i'm telling you guys you're not going to find a nicer person anywhere uh from heart to soul joyce boston is the real deal god love her you know could have had more time i'm amazed and impressed that a, at a very young age, and considering the time period, I mean, we're talking early 70s, right, Mick? Yes. That a woman, or in her case, still a girl, yeah. was able to 
work her way in and gain that access. I mean, that's absolutely incredible and phenomenal for her to be able to do that. Oh. And then you had people that were like legitimately watching out for her. I, I mean, to me, yeah. that just gives me so much. I never met Nick Bockwinkle in my life. But I just, I hear that, and I know he was a really good friend of yours. It just, it makes me just respect him and, and Bobby and everybody who was like, hey, we want to make sure that she's okay and that she's doing what she wants to do and she isn't taken advantage of. That, to me, just elevates them so much more in my book. Chris, you hit it right on the head. You know, the business can get a little, little ugly, a little testy every mm -hmm. once in a while, uh, especially if you're if you're a lady, uh, especially back then. And the fact that Nick and Bobby and guys like that were looking out for her and Lord Alfred uh, speaks volumes not only about yeah. them but about Joyce. Yeah, absolutely. We got about three minutes here, guys. Let's uh, do some shout-outs and then we'll uh, then we'll take it home. Uh, Mick, uh, who's your shout-out? Shout out is a, uh, in some cases, sadly, it's a posthumous shout out. Uh, but uh, we were talking about the Bachwinkle Brigade, and so many of them are still around, some aren't. Uh, but I alluded to the fact that it was just a great, great time for me in wrestling, the camaraderie, the friendship. So, those of you in the brigade that were part of the journey, a shout out to you. And Chris, I'm going to ask if you go before my shout out, please. Sure. Uh, I'm going to go with my buddy, Ryan Wenzel, who gave us uh, an extra set of hands down in Waterloo, um, kind of helped us with some logistics. And he was able to to kind of be a, a third wheel there. And, and he's one of my buddies. I love him dearly. And Ryan, I appreciate your help. And uh, I'll see you soon. And my shout out is going to require a preface. So we give each other a lot of crap on this show, all in fun. Mm -hmm. My shout out is going to go to Chris Tubbs and Mick Karch. There's a term that's called labor of love. Um, we all get the sense and the feeling of what that phrase means. What I don't like about it, it's not laborious. It's not laborious to do this show. Chris, you started this show, brought in Mick. Uh, you, for some reason, you guys decided to contact me and brought me into the show. And it has allowed me to relive the memories of my childhood of my career with the AWA, which started in 1985. And on many occasions, uh, since I've started co-hosting this show, I've had people come up to me and thank me for letting them relive their childhood memories and learn some of the things, the behind the scenes things. None of this would be possible without the two of you. And Chris, especially to you, this is your brainchild. You had put this together. And for that, it's not only my shout out this week, 
It's my thank you for AWA unleashed and including me in. Wow. Thank you.